0: Didn't you write that story, of The Little Mermaid?
1: Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Rubelke. Hello. John Papa. Howdy, everybody. Joe Eames. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I just want to remind you quickly to go sign up for JS Remote JSRemoteConf at jsremoteconf.com. It's an online conference I'm putting together. We also have a special guest, and that is Mads Christensen. Hello.
2: You want to introduce yourself really quickly, Mads? Sure. I'm a program manager on the uh, uh, Microsoft ASP.NET and Visual Studio web team, so um, I'm sort of... Um, Making sure that uh, all the web tooling around Visual Studio and ASP.NET is up to standard and, you know, we have a good experience for our users there. And so what I do is all the CSS and HTML, CoffeeScript, Less, SAS, all those different editing experiences is what I work on on a daily basis, as well as some new stuff that we're coming out with, with uh, Grunt and Bower and NPM support and all that sort of stuff. Did you say native script? Native script. No, natively, sorry. Oh. Visual Studio will na- now has natively support for Grunt and Bauer and NPM and Node and all those things, which are tools that we need, uh, you know, in our web development toolbox. So pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. But that's part of what I do on a daily basis.
3: I just thought you said native script for a second there and I was going to be really geeked out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh,
1: sorry. Joe just wants to go native. <laughs> it's really early in its technology, but it looks really cool. Awesome. So the topic that I'm showing on here is Microsoft tooling for Angular. So I'm assuming that means like capabilities in Visual Studio and things like that to support Angular and other technologies like it.
2: Yep, yeah, exactly. So we've been following Angular very closely, and uh, over uh, over the past uh, long time, actually. And uh, it's pretty clear that Angular is coming out on top. And sort of our approach to when we look at Angular versus other frameworks such as Backbone or Ember, is that we want to have uh, we want to provide like a great experience for web developers uh, using Visual Studio for any JavaScript library or framework. But we want to take Angular and uh, you know take it a little bit further and add some additional tooling specific to Angular. Because it's very evident that it's, it's the most, uh, popular now and, you know, it keeps getting more and more popular. So, so that's sort of our approach to, to the problem, so to say. But there's more to it. It's not just editing, right? It's not, one thing is that we can provide auto completion and, and stuff like that, but it's, it's, we're looking at a, a wider set of tooling capabilities. So one thing, for instance, is Swagger. So how can we take Swagger, which is sort of a REST API endpoint description JSON document, You know, remember back in the uh, good old days when we were dealing with SOAP and uh, Whistle documents and all this sort of stuff. It was horrible, very, very horrible. But it did have a great user experience in that tooling could provide a lot of generation of code and proxy classes and all this sort of stuff so that you were really productive as a developer using SOAP endpoints. And so Swagger kind of gives us that for REST a- uh, APIs, right? So for for JSON-based APIs, for instance. And so what we're looking at, how can we use stuff like Swagger and public web APIs and then generate or scaffold Angular-specific services and, and so on based on that? So really to create like an, a broader end-to-end Angular story into Visual Studio.
3: So what I got from that is that we should go back to SOAP. <laughs> I hope that wasn't what you got from
0: it.
2: You're speaking to my soul.
0: Wow! Wow! Talk about reading into a question, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the productivity gain that Soap actually provided for people that was consuming Soap services, and so I know that in the Java world there was some tooling there that could help with that in Visual Studio from the very beginning. Had great support for dealing with Soap, so both for authoring and also for consuming Soap services. So I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying that Soap was either good or bad, you know. But the developer experience. There were some elements of that that sort of got lost when everything mm. became, you know, restful and, you know, there's no description of it. And, you know, as a developer, we'd have to go and, and read the documentation on an API and then, you know, manually um, manually um implement everything in JavaScript or, or whatever our language of choice was. And so there's a gap today. And, and Swagger is like just one of those things that can help with that. And there are some great Angular uh, scenarios that this can enable as well. So...
3: Maybe I'm the only one here who hasn't heard of Swagger before, but this is a little bit new to me. Is it kind of similar to WADL?
2: Yes, it is. So it's a way that you, through JSON, statically can describe your REST API endpoint. That describes here are the different URLs, and here's uh, the parameters that goes into each URL, and you know do you need any headers, and how do you define security, and all those sort of things. And it's machine readable so that you can have tooling like, you can have a node module or you can have Visual Studio or whatever you want to generate an entire, like, proxy class or data layer for you based on remote APIs that you're going to talk to. So that, you know, first of all, it's really good for productivity because that's very fast. Machines can do these things very fast. But also, it's less error prone because you let the machine do it. So, you know, stuff like typos should go away. And, um, I see, like, this is one of the things that really could lift development experiences for you know, for Angular developers, but for any developers needing to talk to endpoints. And Swagger is the one that seems to be winning. They just came out with a uh, version 2.0, and so it looks really, really interesting. So if you haven't looked at that yet, I would uh, strongly encourage you to do so.
3: So if you're writing an Angular application, is Swagger or WADL, is that something that you could potentially incorporate into what you're doing?
2: Yeah, exactly. So I know that there are some uh, node modules out there that you can uh, use today already that you can, um, you know, you basically just give it a a URL endpoint and it will read the swagger from that endpoint and it will generate Angular services. So that gives you like a great quick start. And you, of course, you can integrate with Grunt or Gulp or, or whatever you want to have to automate this. So if you don't mind me jumping in here, um, I would like to go, actually go back to the
4: tooling. This is, is really interesting. Uh, so Mads, Lucas here. JavaScript is just evolving at just a crazy fast pace. And the question that I have is, how do you sanely look at what tools, what tooling you're going to bring in, what you're going to adopt when it seems like the landscape, you know, every three years is, is kind of just changing and, you know, evolving so quick it doesn't even look the same. I mean, how do you, how do you approach that with such a a rapid pace of of evolution within the the JavaScript ecosystem?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I actually get this question a lot for JavaScript and CSS and HTML. It's sort of. Everything evolves very quickly right now. And I think we can break it up into several pieces. So one of them being some of these JavaScript APIs coming out. Let's say the vibration API or battery status API, or whatever. You know, at some point it, it becomes a W3C recommendation. And that happens pretty fast now. And so everything that's sort of standards based and W3C approved and all those sort of things. Those are must-haves, right? There's no way we cannot do that. We cannot add support for that auto-completion and and other things to that. So that's one aspect. Another aspect is what do the browser vendors do? And so we look at uh, Blink and, of course, IE and Firefox and WebKit to figure out what what are the browser vendors doing, what are sort of the new things. And we always want to be on the bleeding edge as much as we can. So for instance, my start page when I open my browser is the W3C News. So I always know like what what's the latest JavaScript APIs out there or CSS APIs for that matter or CSS modules so that I can keep everything up to speed and up to um, like the latest and greatest at all points. And it's really challenging because it it's that fast. So those are sort of the two main ones. Right? What are the browser vendors doing? What is the W3C uh, recommending? And then the third is what are people actually doing in the real world, right? And so we get a lot of feedback, uh, from user voice and from Twitter and all sorts of other places for people saying, Hey, we should do, uh, you know, add some Angular specific tooling, right? We want to, we want to have better validation and better auto completion and, and all sorts of things for Angular specifically and for Bootstrap, uh, the CSS framework. And, and so we take a lot of that input and, uh, figure out, like, uh, also looking a little bit in the crystal ball, does it make sense to make a big deal out of Angular, for instance? You know, we got a lot of people asking for it, but is it something that we would want to spend a lot of resources improving the tooling for? And so we have to kind of balance all these things and... Um, um I think I know the answer to that, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the answer is definitely we want to do stuff for Angular, yes.
0: <laughs> but, but hey, I think that's an important point you brought up because just because a lot of people are clamoring for something doesn't always mean that it's the right thing for that company to do, or even for the community. Sometimes what we want isn't what we need, right? So I think just because, especially in this world of, uh, you know, JavaScript flavor of the week or web component of the week kind of thing comes out, where, you know, Angular doesn't fit in that category, but how does Microsoft differentiate between, Wow, a lot of really vocal minority people are speaking up about this, or is it just something we look at in that sense, or is it something we look at, wow, this has got some staying power and we need to go after it? How do you differentiate between what's real and what's more uh, temporary?
2: Yeah, that's sometimes very difficult, especially early on, uh, when projects start out, because let's take jQuery as, as an example. Back then, you know, we had a lot of different general purpose JavaScript libraries out there. jQuery was one. We had the Dojo toolkit. We had prototype and all these other ones. And at that point in time, you know, jQuery hadn't won, right? And so sometimes when it's like that and, and Microsoft, we actually shipped in Visual Studio support for jQuery and we did that right around the time. Uh, the version of Visual Studio that came out right around the time when, when jQuery won. But we actually prepared for this maybe a year before when it was still an open question. Like who, is, is jQuery going to be the, the one all be all or, or, or what? And so we kind of just looked at it and said, okay, we, we kind of feel that the user experience around jQuery was a little bit better than the other ones. And it just so happened to be lucky for us, I guess, that jQuery won. Uh but it could have, it could have been some, some of the other, uh, libraries. So we don't always know, and you know, we're humans, so, but we try to make the right choice based on all sorts of different factors, and it can be difficult. It can be difficult. And I think, yeah, jQuery's, I used that because that was the first one. We did Bootstrap as well. So at the time Bootstrap came out, you know, there were other things, uh, Foundation and the other ones, and, and, um, I think Bootstrap has, was the right choice. But it's not a clear winner, right? Bootstrap is very popular, but you know what about Foundation, what about Skeleton, what about the other CSS frameworks? It's not as clear as jQuery was.
0: And I think you guys have different levels of commitment, I would say. So some of the times, you know, you're kind of just dating the framework, you know, like Knockout. I felt like you guys did some things for the tooling to to light it up inside of Visual Studio, but you didn't go all in on it. And and I think that was probably a good decision with that, where it's a popular framework, we need to have some support for it, but you know, you kind of limit where you go. But then the other ones, uh, you're not just dating it. You know, you're kind of going for the long haul, like a jQuery or a Bootstrap. Uh, is that kind of how you'd categorize Angular? Were you doing that, or be more like the the dating period?
2: I think right now, we're sort of in between <laughs> dating and, and long haul. We're, we're definitely betting on Angular, but as you all know, the landscape is changing. And with 2.0 coming out as well, we have to think about how we're going to implement things to... You know, maybe have like a provider model. So we have a 1.3 and a 2.0 provider that will feed, uh auto completion into the HTML editor, for instance, uh, in these two different scenarios. And so, so we have to look at the implementation and the time we spend on the resources we throw at this because as in any other software team, the resources you throw at, at one feature, you know, you're taken from something else. So it's always a balance act, but. So you're
0: saying you gave Angular, uh, Angular a drawer in your dresser, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. They sort of moved in, but we're still working on the implementation and, and, uh, it's actually starting to look really, really good. And, uh, I'm so excited for the stuff that we're going to do with Angular. But back to your knockout point. I mean, we took a bet on knockout and that was before there was a clear winner on any sort of data binding framework out there. And, and we sort of stopped. We figured out that this was, you know, Angular came out and Ember came out and so on. So, and knockout wasn't used as much anymore. And so we kind of stopped. We we did smaller things to knockout from that point on, because we have to react right. Because if we spend time on knockout, we can't spend time on Angular, for instance. So it's always a balance, and that's sort of the curse of the program manager, right? To figure out what is that balance. And um, hey, but it keeps my uh, my job interesting at least. Uh, one thing I want to say though, so we have this free extension for Visual Studio called Web Essentials. So there's a lot of cases where we simply just have no idea either how to create tooling for a specific framework or a specific structure or W3C standard, for instance. And so we want to try it out. So we use this free extension called Web Essentials that anyone can install into Visual Studio. That's sort of our playground and where we put all the cutting-edge very modern sort of web technology just to see how it lands will it stick does users like this you know and we iterate on it and we get feedback and we get community contributions it's all open source so the community helps us out there and tells us what they like and what they don't and they give us a pull request to fix stuff and uh, at some point when the feature is baked we can move it into uh, visual studio proper and so some of the angular stuff actually started in web essentials and then later on was uh, now we're moving it into to visual studio proper so so there are different ways we can get around our, you know, the, our ignorance, I was about to say, but like when when we have those things where we just, we simply don't know who's going to come out on top of these different frameworks and so on. Make sense? So,
4: Matt, how do you support, let's say, technology X, but do it in a way that it doesn't come at a cost for, let's say, technology Y and Z? So, obviously, you know, Angular is, is a really strong framework. It's doing well. But let's say you had somebody who wanted to do a .NET slash Ember project is how would you kind of support Angular without being restrictive and forcing developers down kind of a certain path?
2: <laughs> That's a good question because a lot of people, they want zero restrictions and zero guided paths, right? They want, they know what they want to build and they know what components they want to use. And then you have another group of developers, they sort of look for a prescriptive path. And so we have to cater for both scenarios. So when we come out and say, Hey, we, you know, we suggest that you use Angular and Bootstrap. We, that's our official statement. Like when people ask, we actually say Angular and Bootstrap. And for some people, that's not what they want. So we have to make sure tooling works. If you want to, let's say you want to replace Angular with Ember, for instance. So the way we kind of go about it is that the foundation or the, the fundamentals of what constitutes a good IDE, in this case, Visual Studio, has to be in place, right? So for JavaScript, HTML, and CSS, and LESS, and SAS, and all this sort of stuff, we have to make sure that at the bottom of everything that we have a super solid foundation so that when we want to add features on top of that specific to Angular or Ember or whatever that might be, we can do so without sacrificing anything else because the level of support that's general, that's shared across any framework, JavaScript framework, for instance, is super high right? So we don't look at it as we're sacrificing Ember for Angular. We're looking at it as we want to create the best experience for Ember that exists, right? That is the goal. And, you know, insert your framework of choice here, you know. That experience in Visual Studio for your favorite framework should be the best that you can get from any IDE. What we're just saying is we're going to add a little bit extra to Angular we cannot be specific to each framework out there because there are literally thousands of frameworks. So we cannot add specific tooling to all of them. We have to pick and choose. And so we're doing that with Angular, but we're not doing it by sacrificing any other experience because the foundation is sound across all of them, if that makes sense.
4: Great answer. Thank you.
0: So, Mads, we're talking about all this cool stuff, but the thing I'm really looking forward to is the Angular stuff that you're your talking about and what's coming down the road and i know you can't share with us a lot of details but what i'm asking you to clarify a little is i see a lot of cool stuff coming out of project k and it's all server-based and i saw the tag helper stuff that damien and scott hunter talked about in different podcasts which is all server-based generation of client code but what kind of things do you see or envision that could happen for the client side space irregardless of what's on the server
2: yeah, I think, uh, so for the, the project K you were mentioning, that's, that was the code name for ASPNet 5, the next version of ASP, ASPNet. And so, uh, yeah, so we can have the, since ASPNet, of course, is a servitor in, uh, platform and, and language, we can ha- let the server add some stuff for the client. So, and that's going to be, that's for a productivity gain. That's also for basically what we've built with ASPNet is to have Angular directives are or, or actually uh, web components on the server. It's really really cool. So, the W3C web components and Angular directives are sort of similar in some some aspects, right? And we're going to have the same capability on the server. And what's really cool about that we can use the server to get us familiarized with the notion of, you know, custom elements and attributes and all this sort of stuff and have that generate Angular code, for instance, or web components code, and then slowly we can sort of let the user do more and more on the client side, but, you know, we, we can introduce them to the concepts and make them productive from day one using the server. So that's one aspect, and I'm really excited about the possibilities there, actually. On the client side, there's a lot of things we can do, and I think we have this technology in Visual Studio called Link. and so BrowserLink is a WebSocket connection to any browser. So what Visual Studio is doing is that it's actually opening a WebSocket endpoint in the Visual Studio process itself. And so any uh, browser without any plugins can then communicate bidirectionally, back and forth to Visual Studio. That means Visual Studio can send JavaScript to be executed in the browser, and the browser can send back information to Visual Studio that would then make Visual Studio react to whatever that might be, right? And so for Angular... There are a lot of things that makes it hard to get started with. Or maybe not hard, but there's a lot of gutches. And something really silly, but forgetting the ng app attribute is just one of those things that we see over and over again that people waste like hours figuring out why can't I make Angular work and you know, and then they figure out they forgot the ng app. What would be really nice is if, if Visual Studio can just tell you right immediately right there that hey, you forgot this attribute, that's why nothing happens. You have to remember that Visual Studio has to cater for server-side, like for ASP.NET, right? So that means that statically, it's not really possible to analyze what the response is going to be. We have to actually serve it in the web browser through a web server to figure out what the actual rendered output is going to be. What's the DOM going to look like? What's really cool about the Browse link technology is that it lives inside the viewport. It lives in the DOM. So it can access everything on your web page. And send information back. So very, very quickly, we can identify issues or this could be issues like, Hey, Angular doesn't work because you forget, forgot something. Or it could also be, Hey, we're noticing that you're doing certain things, but you know, there might be better ways to do the same thing in Angular, like Angular specific stuff. And we can start flowing that information back into Visual Studio in real time. Like, we're talking milliseconds here. So what's really cool is that after you just write some of your templates or a controller or what it might be, we can immediately give you the feedback directly within the JavaScript editor or HTML editor, you know, saying, hey, you know, this is not the optimal way of doing it. And we can even have a way for you to fix it as well. So I think a lot of the sort of the next generation web tooling will be more in this sense, like more a holistic End-to-end analysis of what the web page is actually doing in real time, and I think you know we we can do that for Angular, we can do that for Bootstrap, we can do that for for all sorts of things, and I see that is going to come in and it's going to be more and more important going forward because it's not about Angular anymore, right? Angular is one piece of the puzzle. There's a lot more to it, so so it's difficult to isolate just Angular and say. We're only going to concentrate on Angular. That's only a part of the story, right? For your website, there's a lot more other things going on. And so, I think like in the next two three years, we're going to see a lot more, not just by Microsoft and Visual Studio, but I think across the board, it's going to be much more like holistic analytics and and um, and those sort of tooling efforts that's coming in. Because at at that point, you know, everyone's going to have auto completion and all this sort of stuff for Angular and Ember and and insert name here, right? So. Um, so I think that's the main difference, and and it's going to be a huge productivity gain.
0: I think there's a lot of really exciting things happening right now in this whole space, and I think what's cool to me is, you know, the recent announcements about Microsoft going open source and .NET and all this great stuff, and, and uh, ASP.NET, vNext, whatever version it's going to be called, this is great. But the cooler thing to me is how it seems that Microsoft and Google and the open source world, there's just more of this communication. I don't know if it always existed in back rooms of bars and with cigar smoke before, but it seems to me from the outside looking in, it's more visible the kind of conversations that are going on between these different companies in the open source community. Because I know when I was at Microsoft, it was like, you know, what's open source? And now you guys have got a whole foundation there based upon it. Yeah. Is that the direction you see everything moving in to more open, more collaborative?
2: I do. I think it's, uh, so on the, the ASP.NET and Web Tools team over here in Microsoft, we've been doing open source and sharing ideas in the open and coding in the open for years now. And we're gonna, we're seeing now like a lot of other teams in Microsoft that are doing the same thing and it's, it's awesome. But we also see it, I think, just, it's just a general trend with like the big companies out there. You know, we are better together as a unified community, right? Like, gone are the days where you could say, I'm a Microsoft web developer because I do ASP.NET, right? Because you don't just do ASP.NET or PHP for that matter, whatever it might be. You also have to use Bootstrap and Angular or, you know, all these different tools. You use Grunt and Gulp and Bower and, and so your tool chain is now so spread out. You know, it's, it's coming from all over the world. It's, uh, it's all open source and it's a better world because of it and I think like a lot of the big companies are are realizing that and so everyone seems to be moving in that direction I think you know it is great I think this is the best time being a web developer as far as I can remember back And so I'm I'm super excited about this because it it looks like everyone just wants to make the world better, right? And so the competition becomes, well, who can make the world better first, (laughs) right? Who can have the best tooling for Angular first? But, hey, by the way, let's open source it at the same time. So everything becomes better for everyone. And now it's just a race of who can implement things first and so on, which is really exciting because it really brings competition back. Like if you're a Microsoft, if you identify yourself as a Microsoft web developer, right you you in the past you wouldn't have looked to these other stacks and other tools and so where is the competition then right you you can just wait for the next thing coming out of microsoft or you know jetbrains or whatever other like if you're not a microsoft uh, web developer but now because everything is in the open the tooling and the competition is now more fierce than ever and you know as with competition the winner is the is the little guy in the end right we all win from that um and so I think this is this is so exciting, and I think we've just scratched the surface.
0: So I wanted to look a little bit about the uh, the TRX thing, the Task Runner Explorer that you guys have put together, or you specifically, it sounds like. And I'm going through Scott Hanselman's blog post here, which we'll put a link on the show for. And I see there's stuff like you know, Grunt files and and gulp file support and Bower support. But if we could hit some of these specifically, I know early on when I tested some of this, it wasn't reading the files right, and I know you you made some fixes to that, and that was in the betas. But if I use Task Runner Explorer in Visual Studio to run Gulp or Grunt, do I lose anything over running it through Terminal? Is there anything I can't do there? Or on the other side, is there anything I can do Visual Studio with this plugin that I can't do through Terminal?
2: Yeah, so we've been very... Very specific in uh, when we started the support, writing the support for Grunt and Gulp into Visual Studio to make sure that it has to work with just your regular Grunt file. Everything that works from the command line has to work within Visual Studio. And that nothing Visual Studio specific should be added to your Grunt or anything like that, Grunt file or Gulp file, for it to work. This was absolutely paramount. So the goal was that I could take any web project on GitHub Clone it to my local machine and start using the Visual Studio tooling for Bower, Grunt, Gulp, NPM, and so on to make it work. That was paramount and that's how it works today. So we are still in the beta phase. We're not, we're not completely done yet, but that was absolutely paramount. So that was one thing. The other thing was if you were to use those tools, right? Because you can use them on the command line. So what is the purpose of adding this stuff into Visual Studio if you can use the command line? Like it has to add value. So the idea is that you can keep using the command line. So, Since ASP.NET 5 now, you know, runs on a Mac and all this sort of stuff. So imagine you have a team where you have one person on Visual Studio and you have one person on a Mac sitting in Sublime Text. And the person sitting on a Mac should use the console, you know, the command line to run uh, all the grunt tasks, for instance. But the person using Visual Studio can get this added benefit of saying, Hey, I don't like to use the command line for certain things. I'm going to use Visual Studio for that. So we made it super simple. You can just, we have a little, Task Runner Explorer that lists all your Grunt and Gulp tasks, and you can just, you know, double-click one of those tasks to execute it. That That's a simple little thing. But what's more important is, normally in IDEs, you have a lot of different gestures that you do all the time. Uh, It's sort of in your muscle memory. So, in Visual Studio, you hit, like, a keyboard combination and it kicks off a build, right? And that build takes, like, a couple of seconds or, you know, depending on the complexity of your app. And what we want to make sure is that you probably have a build task in Grunt, you know, Grunt build. We want to make sure that you can associate any grunt task or even grunt target to an event that happens in Visual Studio, such as I want to build, or you know, before build, after build, or if I clean my output. Right. So you probably have grunt clean somewhere. And so the really cool thing is that you can opt into all that, and your muscle memory stays intact when you hit you know the keyboard shortcut that builds your app on the server, all the 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 server code, the C sharp, for instance. It afterwards or before, that's up to you it also kicks off the grunt task. And so this is really cool for productivity and also easing people in to using those tools because they don't have to learn new gestures or anything. They can keep using the the, the principles that they've known for years for software development using Visual Studio. And then the final thing is grunt watch. So grunt watch is really cool. It's sort of this file system watcher that makes sure that every time you, you change the file, that it then runs the right grunt task or gulp task to do bundling and minification and compilation and of less and coffee files and so on. And what we're doing there is saying, hey, if, when you open the project in Visual Studio, your web project, it automatically starts the watch task, right? Because that's probably what you want. So you can set it up to do that. And we then have this console that where all the output is streamed into Visual Studio. So there's an, an, a console there. You, you don't actually need the console at all to do any of this stuff. But what's cool is because we we sort of executed in the context of Visual Studio, we execute Grunt and Gulp, the output we can start analyzing. So what we're looking into is when you run JS hint or you run Karma, Jasmine tests or whatever, that we can scrape that output and give you immediate feedback directly within Visual Studio. So if you're in a JavaScript file, you know, you forgot a semicolon, you save the file, we can immediately give you that JS hint warning right there in the editor where that semicolon is needed. So you don't have to always go to the console to see what happened, you know, and you forget about it, then you have to come back and all these sort of things. It just becomes a normal part of the workflow. And the same for tests, right? We can populate the, the – we have like a um, – in Visual Studio, we have this test explorer or test window where you all your unit tests are. We can start f- uh, feeding all the information in from Grunt and Gulp about your tests and have a full integration there. So the idea is that you decide at what level you want to use the Visual Studio tooling. And sometimes you just want to use the command line. But you decide at what level you want to have Visual Studio help you out. And that's important. So – That brings up a lot
0: of uh, interesting questions. That sounds all great, and I want to make sure I understand something. So when I'm using Gulp and Grunt, or one or the other, I probably wouldn't have both, right, (laughs) in my project, in TRX, would I be modifying those files? So when I add those post-build or pre-build or things like that, inside of Visual Studio's or TRX, would they be modifying the grunt or gulp file or where is that stored?
2: Yeah, so we, we've been, (laughs) we've been back and forth on this for a long time. And what's happening and what we're end up, uh, the solution we're going for is that it doesn't change the grunt or gulp file except that it adds a comment at the very top. And that's basically just a, a commented out JSON object that says, you know, After build, run the name of this grunt task. And we have to save it in the the grunt file or the gulf file.js itself because there is really no other ways to put it because you can have a grunt file that's part of your project, right? It's in the project root. But then you can have a grunt file. Instead of putting it there, you can put it higher up in the folder structure. So let's say you have two projects. You want to have it, you know, above those. So there really is no... The whole notion of a project... You know, grunt and gulp has no idea of what that means. It's just a file on disk that you know, and you can run it. But it, the idea of projects doesn't exist, so we have nowhere to store this. And so, adding a comment at the top is sort of the only way we can do this in a good way. So
0: yes, okay, so that's cool. You're, so you're a little bit intrusive, but it's not going to get in my way of my coding in any way, which is cool.
2: Exactly and if you delete them you know you just lose the bindings to the events in Visual Studio no harm will come of it so it's up to you right we're actually looking into is are there other things we can do like store the information in a separate file somewhere next to grunt file or Gulf file um, Yeah, and yeah I
0: don't know how I feel about that because that, that's this thing is if you create yet another file it's just one more thing I've got to maintain somewhere so yeah I kind of like the idea of maybe even put a comment at the bottom of the grunt file you know get it out of the way
2: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so we're looking at optimizing that and figure out what's the least intrusive way we can do that.
0: What what do you think about, I mean, you guys mentioned Bower and you mentioned testing. So I've I've got two questions on there and I'll I'll kind of let you answer them. I've seen some of the Bower integration you have now and the direction I'm leaning people towards, and maybe this isn't the one you guys want, but if I'm building a package and instead of using NuGet for client-side libraries, I'm talking Bower these days. So even in Visual Studio, which the hesitancy I have there is In the past, Microsoft has wanted to create tooling, and they kind of said, well, we like this thing like Bower, but we're going to make you go down this particular road with it. Uh, If I use Bower to Visual Studio, do I get the autonomy to use it the way it's intended, meaning I can put the Bower folder anywhere I want and install the components and use the full power of Bower, or am I restricted in some way? And then the second question is related to Karma. Can I do Karma running of tests with Angular, inside of Visual Studio and then see all the, you know, my thousand tests with the red-green and all that kind of stuff.
2: All right, so first question first. So for power, for the idea is that just like with Grunt and Gulp, like, it should work exactly like you want it to work. Everything you can do on the command line should be supported, right? I should be able to clone any website on GitHub that uses power and it should just work. And so that's the philosophy here, and it, and it does just work for that. So it doesn't have the legacy that NuGet, kind of brought where it was very opinionated about what folders to put JavaScript in and all sort of, th- and things like that. Like, there is nothing like that. You can use, you can drop a .bowerrc file and rename the folder and the tooling will still work. So that's the idea, right? The use it the, exactly the way it was meant to be used and Visual Studio will just do that. It would just support you in doing that. That's very, very important. And so the re- reason why we're saying, okay, let's do Bower instead of just doing NuGet, which sort of has been the approach before is that everything is on Bauer, the world is on Bauer, and the better experience is right there, so that why why in reinvent the wheel uh, the wheel like the internet already decided that this was a good idea, so at the end, the internet wins right that's just how it is. So why try to force a lesser uh, experience uh, onto people when there already are good experiences out there now granted, Bauer has some problems right and you can use npm in the exact same way right you can use npm instead of bower if you want that for some of the packages and we will support that equally you get full uh, auto completion for package names that we get directly up from the uh, from the npm registry and from the uh, bower registries as well so you you get we give you that full editor experience so when you just edit bower json or package json we give you that full fidelity auto completion not just for the structure of the json file but for the individual package names that you want. And so it's really a rich experience. And again, you don't have to go to the command line. Just save the file, and things are being installed for you.
0: Uh, I don't think you can hear that, but that's the sound of all the developers listening, clapping, and saying thank you for not forcing (laughs) us into a corner.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Well, so for your other question, was, what about your Karma test? So we don't have that yet. And so the idea is that the task runner explorer in Visual Studio, which is what runs all your grunt tasks and gulp tasks and so on is completely extensible. So I'm already talking to people that want to build support for other things than grunt and gulp. So we have some script CS build uh, systems out there, broccoli, brunch and so on uh, would be interesting to pull in. It's all extensible. And what's also extensible is the way that you can, you can write an extension that reads the output from the console and identify maybe using regular expressions or however you want to do that i can read the output from karma and says oh this karma test failed or and this succeeded and so on and then integrate that with the entire visual studio extensibility apis right and so there is an extensibility api for the test adapters that runs that gives you that test window in visual studio so you can flow everything through there and now we know the names of all your tests right so we can list the names in that in that window and you can just double click it and it will run that because the task runner explorer is nothing but a proxy for the user between the user and the command line right it doesn't actually do anything on its own it just calls the command line so it calls the exact same commands that you would do from the command line and so everything that we can find out through the command line or by parsing your karma or whatever you want we can flow in and make a, a first-class citizen off inside Visual Studio. So we're not there yet, but that's definitely on the plans. That would be so cool.
3: Awesome. We, so I just have a quick question if you guys are already looking at AtScript.
2: I know that the TypeScript team here, which is not part of the ASP.NET and, uh, and Web Tools team, on, unfortunately, uh, I know that they're um, in conversations with the Angular team about figuring out how to do this, but I have no idea. Good answer. All right. Any other questions before we do the picks? There is something that always comes up that I might just uh, answer. I will ask the question, and then I will answer it myself. <laughs> okay. What about Yeoman? So, short story, we do not have Yeoman support in Visual Studio. We actually do have a prototype that uh, MS OpenTech have built, so I assume that's open source somewhere. But we're not planning on building that into Visual Studio because we sort of have our own template system there. However, for ASP.NET, Five, the new version of ASP.NET we actually have Yeoman generators for that so you can go in and say yo generate ASP.NET and you know you can create an MVC application or a NAND CFX application or something like that and have everything scaffolded and that's all developed in the, uh, in the open on GitHub and it works really well so we're going to put our stuff on Yeoman but we're not necessarily going to have Visual Studio integration for Yeoman cool cool all right
4: well let's go ahead and do picks and stuff Lucas do you have a pick and a tip for us I do, and I'm actually going to combine them. Uh, so I was working on the sample application for Angular in Action and upgrading it to 1.3, and I've been using ng-messages, and it's just a really nice submodule. And before, you know, I had to do a lot of, like, ng-if this error, show this error, or ng-if this, and so it was just kind of a lot of... It just became crufty, and so uh, big shouts out to uh, Matthias and the team, they did a, a really good job in uh, 1.3 with uh, Angular forms and specifically ng-messages. So if you're not using it, look into it. Uh, Eurofmood.com, he has a great article. It's uh, just a really nice tool to have in your toolbox. Very cool. Joe, what are, your, what are your pick and tip?
3: So my pick is going to be a book I've been reading recently called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. So if you happen to be a father listening to this podcast and you happen to have a daughter or might have a daughter soon, I highly recommend this book. Great book written by a medical doctor about the effect of fathers in the lives of their daughters. Really enjoying it. And then my tip is going to be Plunker. If you don't know Plunker, learn it because it's awesome, especially for Angular.
0: All right. John Papa, what are your pick and tip? So I've got some picks here. Uh, Basically, it's the whole Connect event. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T. That just had the Microsoft team, I think it was last week, it's been a blur, could have been a year ago, right now my mind's so wiped, of doing the open source for .NET. And they basically announced .NET's been open sourced, which means that the way I interpret that is Mono may no longer need to be a major player there because now you can run .NET on Linux and OSX and all that fun stuff. And now Visual Studio is, they got a new edition called Community Edition which the way I read that too is it's going to be free for a lot of people like education and students and uh, small businesses. And they'll still have an enterprise version as well, but the important part is the community edition is not only free, but it's not crippled either like some of the former versions like the Express and things like that. Uh, and go check out the Connect event. That's the second half of that pick. Is uh, We put some links here in the show to go watch some of the videos, but it's pretty amazing the turnaround that uh, the Microsoft community has done over the last couple of years. And I guess my tip for the Angular side is I've been immersed, I mean totally immersed in the build process recently for Angular and JavaScript. And recently I just rewrote a bunch of my Gulp commands to use depth, file FileRev, and UseMin. And I found that uh, wiredep not so much, but UseMin and FileRev really made my Gulp processes much simpler and easier where I was actually able to eliminate like a hundred lines of code out of my gulp file. So my picks for Angular are get to know things like Useman inside of gulp and file ref. Awesome.
1: I've got a couple of picks. The first one is the Entre Programmers podcast. I was a guest on it two weeks ago. And then last week, they actually invited me back to be a permanent member of the panel slash uh, mastermind group. And it's a, it's a fun chat. So I'm going to pick that. And then my tip is I found a countdown timer. For Angular, which uses a directive, and it was really easy to set up, so uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's Angular dash Timer, and yeah, hopefully you like that. Mads, do you have a pick and a tip for us? Or I, a I have a
2: picks? pick, yeah. So I've been uh, I've been playing around with uh, JSON lately uh, a lot, and you know, one of the things with JSON is that uh, sometimes you have a specific format that you need to uh, adhere to. So let's say you write a, write a Google Chrome extension, right? You have a manifest JSON file, and and that's where you specify all the different settings and so on for your Chrome extension. Now it's really easy to do like typos or forgetting certain things in files like that, and so that's why JSON schema exists is to help us out with that. And so what I've been using lately is uh, something it's an is a Node module called TV Four. It comes as a grunt task as well, but it actually helps you. You can set it up through your build process to make sure that all your JSON files are adhering to a schema, so that you can avoid like stupid mistakes and typos and stuff like that. So, I think that's great. The world needs this sort of stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks
1: for coming, Mads. It was uh, it was fun to talk, and you know, I know a lot of people are out there using Angular with Microsoft technologies, and so I think this will really help give people some direction on what capabilities are there and what's coming up
2: awesome thank you it's uh, my pleasure
1: all right well i don't think we have any announcements and joe took off before i could ask him about ng so be excited for that and we'll catch y'all next week this episode is sponsored by mad glory you've been building software for a long time and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming work piles up hiring sucks and it's hard to get projects out the door check out mad glory they're a small shop with experience shipping big products